If you look forward into the future about how do I think customers are kind of going to be thinking about brands over the next couple of years, you know, you've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, hey, I need to believe that this company stands for something important. I need to understand how they treat their employees. I think all that stuff is going to continue to be driving forces behind brand messaging in the future. And we've seen that in a lot of what we hear from our community. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to the one-to-one consumer marketing podcast. Today I'm speaking with Jacob Fenton, VP Customer Experience at StockX. Thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Max. Jacob, with a diverse career spanning Amazon, GoFundMe, and now StockX, could you share a bit more about your background and your journey? Yeah, sure. So I got into tech around 15 years ago, started at Amazon in product management in their digital devices business. I moved back to the Midwest and took a job with a company called CrowdRise, which was a fundraising marketplace and was there for a little bit before they were acquired by GoFundMe in 2017. Then I worked my way over to StockX in 2018, which at that time had just closed their Series B round and made them really the first official Detroit unicorn. So I was really happy to kind of get back to some of my e-commerce roots and I've been here ever since. Sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about what does StockX do and how they do it? Yeah, sure. StockX is a live marketplace for really the most coveted goods in culture today. So things that you have a hard time getting your hands on. We started our journey really in sneakers, right? And I think that's where maybe many of your listeners are familiar with StockX. And it's still a huge part of our business, but we're a two-sided marketplace. So we don't hold any inventory. We have buyers and sellers, and we step in the middle of that transaction. Every seller sends their item to us, and we verify those items through a rigorous multi-step verification process. We make sure it's exactly what the buyer expects, highest quality, et cetera. And then we send it along to the buyer. I'd say unlike other marketplaces, we don't have a listings model. So there's one product page. So if you're trying to find a shoe or PlayStation 5, for example, you would go to our product page and you'd see very transparent pricing about, you know, what is the market value this item at? So everything is on a bid ask model. Think of it like a stock in the stock market. And so there's just an unmatched level of pricing transparency for the secondary market. That makes a lot of sense. I saw a little bit of a graph for each item you have that reminded me a little bit about, I don't know, Google Flights. It shows you how the, oh, right. the price volatility goes up and down. But, you know, the consumer landscape is quite evolving over time. How did you come up with this model? What did you think are, you know, the strength around this? Because I have the feeling that Consumers are very passionate about the items, the sneaker hats, right? They're the famous ones coming to the site. So how is it that this model is so successful around the globe? I'd love to say I could take credit for coming up with the model. <laughs> I, I can't, but I think, you know, at its core, it's the free market, right? I think supply and demand is a concept that resonates with people. It makes a lot of sense, particularly in the resale market. I think when people are able to see like, oh, this is exactly what somebody paid before me, it gives them a level of you know trust and confidence that they're getting a good deal, especially when they're not sure if the item they're getting is real, if it's going to be in high quality, which is a problem with a lot of other marketplaces. So I think just the model has really been the catalyst for, for such growth. 
Yes, that seems to be true because I know that a lot of players attempted to, you know, just how work and leverage the craziness around a sneaker drop or something like that to, right. figure, to figure that out. StockX managed to do that. But can you tell me a little bit more, how do you, you know, you're coming from an e-commerce background, so a repurchase or getting customer buying more than once because you have customer acquisition costs to make sure they know your brand and then make sure have a you know, purchase, do that purchase there. How do you, is that in this kind of passion industry, right? So a lot of sneaker has, how do you make sure that they are coming back or they're coming back naturally because they're just generally interested in the industry and just want to own five pair of rare sneakers instead of one. So how is these customer retention working for you? Yeah, I mean, listen, that's the whole ball game right there, right? So there's a lot of things that we do to address that. First of all, you're right. Like sometimes people can't afford five sneaker grails throughout the year. And so, you know, over the last several years, we've really grown our offerings. So, you know, while we started off in sneakers, we are now in like six and seven verticals. So we, we sell apparel and accessories, trading cards, collectibles, electronics. And so we, you know, that growth there has helped to kind of spur some cross-category purchasing. So that's one thing. And that's an important vector of growth for us. I'd say really though, it's like anything else. You have to connect with customers on a very organic level. I think customers are looking to a company like StockX to be authentic, to be true to the creators of these products. And we've tried to really do that with a lot of our marketing communications. So it's not just kind of traditional top of funnel. We spend a lot of time and effort on influencer campaigns, making sure we're not only connected with influencers, but the right types of influencers. So for example, um, gaming was identified as an area of great growth for us. And so we did a partnership with a woman named Chica, who's, you know, a huge gamer on Twitch. And she represents, you know, an area of our customer that is just super passionate. And it's been a great partnership for us. We've also really been trying to engage on some more community-driven social platforms like Discord and Reddit. And that's been also really successful because a lot of them are moderated by our customers and it's just creating like more of a relationship, you know, as opposed to, hey, StockX just by, you know, throwing content down our throat. So we want to we wanna have that push and that pull. And I think some of those are just a couple of examples of how we're trying to think differently about engaging with those customers and building that lifetime value and that lifetime trust. That's very fascinating. Can I double click on the community aspect? Because I think a lot of brands I know would be quite scared of handing over control to moderators on, on Reddit or on Discord, which are not, you know, on the payroll. So how do you manage that? Because I can believe that this is really, really successful because these platforms have a lot of traction and a lot of trust. But how do you keep the balance here of, you know, getting the right message across, but also control? Well, I mean, listen, to balance, right? I think, you know, keep in mind that these conversations are already happening, right? So they're happening, whether they're on Discord or on X or wherever platform they're on, or whether it's amongst customers. So, you know, there's only so much control you have. I think, you know, you got to let go of the control a little bit. You have to understand these customers are going to say what they want about your platform. But I, I really think it does allow you to kind of reframe things or, or help to educate people on the importance of your service. So, I mean, take, for example, you know, trust, right? Everyone talks about trust, right? Customers, of course, have to trust your platform. But I think we learned over the last several years, like, you know, we charge fees, right, for our transactions. And a lot of customers don't like paying fees naturally. So it's important for us to explain to them why we are in the middle, like why it's important. 
And, you know, that's kind of caused us to invest in a lot of different initiatives. You know, one is a program called Details Verified, where we are showing like really detailed videos of the sneakers or of the items, showing what we're looking for when it comes to one of our verification centers. And, you know, that is now showing up on a lot of our product detail pages. So it's really like when a customer comes, they start to see that value. And so we're taking what's happening on those social platforms and helping use it to inform some of our brand messaging and our strategy. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, just realizing that how much of a harder job you actually have compared to other e-commerce players, because as an e-commerce company, I have, I would say that, let's say I take a normal DTC brand, I have to produce the product and I have to ship it to the customer, hopefully fast, right? So that's, that's my job. That's already something that a lot of D2C brands are struggling a lot with, but you have a whole other process on the other side, right? So you have to, someone needs to send the sneaker to you, you have to verify it and then ship it fast. And that needs to feel like an e-commerce transaction for the, for the other side, even though it isn't. And there's a lot of, because you create this, you make it as easy as e-commerce. The expectation is there and it's very easy to fall flat on that expectation, I can imagine. So. That sounds like a very tough operational job that is happening on the other side that needs to be hidden from or needs to be as smooth as possible for the customer. Yeah, I, you hit right on it. We're um, active in over 200 countries and territories. We have uh, verification centers all around the world. You know, just over Cyber 5, we were doing a transaction every second. So sometimes people don't appreciate the scope of our operation, but, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, Amazon and other e-commerce companies have trained customers to get it fast and get it cheap. And so, you know, we want to, of course, do that. And so one of the things that we just recently launched actually is a, is a new program called Express Ship. And Express Ship is different from our traditional model, right? In our traditional model, if you're selling something, you, you match by bid and ask, and then you send it to us, we verify, it, and then we send it along to the buyer. With Express Ship, we're actually working with our professional sellers we hold their inventory, we pre-verify it, they still manage all the pricing, and then we are able to match a buyer and then ship it same day. So it goes from having that like delay that is kind of normal with StockX where they don't get it in two, three days, like on Amazon, they get it closer to a week. Now we're, we're making sure we can get it to them in, in three days. And that's really a game changer for us and really for our customers because they want it. Like right now, you know, tomorrow, I believe, is our deadline for getting people gifts before Christmas. We've never been able to tell customers that before. We've never been able to say, hey, purchase by, you know, the end of December 19th and you'll get it for Christmas because we've never, we cannot have control over that first hop of the value chain, right? And so Expressive is a big step in the direction of getting to faster delivery and, you know, kind of like a more e-commerce standard. That's fascinating. And, you know, you in your current role, when you look at you have buyers and sellers, marketplace always is hard because you have to divide your attention into both sides to make both happy, attract more of them, right? Each side. So if a marketplace comes, you know, out of balance, that can get very, very nasty. So how do you manage your time and your day to day around keeping both sides happy? Great question. I think last year we did a ton of work on the sell side from a product perspective. So we have, you know, a couple of years ago, we acquired a company called Scout which is a, an inventory management platform. We have a program for our sellers called StockX Pro, 
we've introduced, you know, a series of APIs to let professional sellers kind of plug into the back end of StockX to make their experience more effective, more streamlined. And so that has given us, I guess, the platform to be able to more effectively communicate with sellers, right? And explain to them our value proposition. So, you know, we have to do that. And the other thing I'd say is we we have a team of dedicated account managers as well. You know, that these people are all over the world and they're working with these professional businesses to make sure that we have the supply when we need it. And they're building and growing those relationships with our power sellers. The power sellers really drive the flywheel, right? We can't market the buyers if there's not supply. And more importantly, you mentioned some of the challenges of marketplaces. It's not just supply, it's well-priced supply. That's the key, right? Because there has to be sell-through. Sellers want to sell their products, buyers want to buy their products. And so, you know, we have to do all these things to make sure that we're facilitating an easier transaction. But, you know, I think we're really just at the beginning of our journey of talking to, to sellers because that's more of a B2B type of marketing journey. You know, I think professional seller services, account management, stuff that's very thought of as very B2B versus the other side of our marketplace for the buyer is very customer driven. And so we're building that expertise as we speak. It's a huge area of growth for us. And particularly with ExpressShip and some things we have coming out next year, it's only going to become more, more important for us. Yeah. I love that you provide an API for professional sellers. I think not even an Airbnb in this marketplace as well, where Uber, I think, would consider to or are doing that. So that's amazing because it shows how much you care about them also building on top of your platform there or extending their business. Remarkable, really, really remarkable. When it comes to the future, because you're already, you know, looking a little bit out there, is what excites you the most over in 2024 in terms of marketing trends, developments, and so on? Yeah, so let me answer your question just by telling you a little bit about my role and why I think it informs my decision. So I have three main areas that I look after. One is marketing strategy and analytics, right? Which is exactly what it sounds like. A lot of the quantitative analytics that helps drive our product development. The other side of that, we all, I also look after our qualitative research insights. So we have a customer research team. They do focus groups, they do surveys, MPS, all of our voice of the customer programs. And the third element is product marketing, where we're working with our product management teams to drive commercialization of our various products and features. And so I think Having that wide range helps to inform kind of my answer about the future. And I think the answer to that question is really all about customer experience and customer centricity and trying, always trying to connect with customers on a one-on-one -on -one level. And so one of the ways we're doing that is we have very robust customer listening programs. And I know, you know, a lot of people say they want to survey customers and listen to them. And we do that. But really the gold is is kind of in the in-between. It's in reading between the lines. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. I think earlier in the podcast, I mentioned how we're kind of doubling down on details verified, which is an, an example of us trying to kind of show what we're doing with, with the products when we receive them to build that trust. Another one is, is gifting. So yes, we heard from customers that they want to be able to, you know, have gift cards. But that wasn't really what they were saying. What they were saying is they were, they were saying, hey, it turns out like one out of every five purchases, I'm giving to somebody else. And so that insight, you know, we always suspect it to be high, maybe not that high. And I think what it did for us as a company is it made us rethink our strategy around gift giving moments, you know? 
So you think about Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, certainly Christmas. And so taking those insights and then informing kind of our product development roadmap. So we'll be in the very near future rolling out some options for people who are looking really to give gifts in the easier way. So for me, the future is really listening to customers at various parts throughout the journey and being hyper-personalized. Another example is we've had, rightly or wrongly, some customers get really frustrated when something does go wrong, right? Something goes wrong with their order. They want to reach out to customer service. And so that, in my opinion, that's not a customer service problem. That's a brand problem, right? And brand is very much a marketing initiative. So if Mm -hmm. if customers think that there are improvements that need to be made in customer service, that's really just as much of of a brand issue as it is a CS issue. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of work on the CS side to make sure that we're leveraging the most advanced tools and AI and machine learning to truly understand why people are calling and differentiating between whether there's an issue with the platform, whether there's an issue with our policies, because those are two very different things. And just helping us, you know, have a shorter timeline to excellence, as we call it. So really, I think those are some of the things that I, I think 2024 is going to all be about. I know everyone says AI, you know, that's the term nowadays, but it really does unlock just an incredible opportunity for us to personalize the experience for customers throughout really their journey on StockX. No, I like that a lot because indeed I, especially also here on this podcast, if I ask people about, you know, what is exciting for you in the next coming years or next year, it's always AI, which I understand, but there are different parts of that, right? So for some people, it's, you know, generative AI and I could potentially create an email or a message or whatever for a lot of more different segments, audience groups, or even one-to-one, right? If I, if I want to do that. But you are pointing to a different thing and that is using this crazy advanced understanding of, of language to read between the lines what people actually want in, for example, customer service, in social listening, in communities and so on, and then form based on this business priorities to improve the entire experience or even, you know, thinking about brand, right? So that's really interesting. I think that's a different take we have not heard so far on this podcast. Yeah, I think if you look forward into the future about how do I think customers are kind of going to be thinking about brands over the next couple of years, you know, you've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, hey, I, I need to believe that this company stands for something important. I need to understand how they treat their employees. I think all that stuff is going to continue to be driving forces behind brand messaging in the future. And we've seen that in a lot of what we hear from our community. And so I think having this level of ability to, to grab those insights is going to be table stakes in, in a couple of years. So that as much as I would love to say it's kind of like a different contrarian take, I think that you're going to see this be very much table stakes, very much something that companies are, are all going to kind of navigate towards in the coming years. Yes, but it's also a question of priorities and speed, right? So if you're the fastest to implement on, on that front, I think then that would, will be a huge advantage on that. And I especially I like the, the brand component because that makes a ton of sense for me to just say, okay, there is maybe a different core problem, right? So how do I perceive the brand, maybe it's also could be the policies. It's not, not a different issue. That makes a lot of sense to have a closer look at that to figure out what's a real issue. To you know, switch gear a little bit, you know, you have these marketplaces, you have this global, this global reach. You have very complex operations. But what if you look at all of this? What do you think is currently your biggest challenge, especially on the in the marketing field, and how are you tackling that? 
I mean, for us, it's really about speed. I mentioned Expressship earlier. We really want to get items to people faster. People mm -hmm. want to make sure that they're going to get what they want and they, that they're going to get it in a short period of time. Because sometimes, you know, imagine you're a buyer, right? And you want something really badly and then the seller sends it in, but it's not real or it comes in and it's not the quality with which you would expect. Well, as a buyer, you know, I might be frustrated, but the truth of the matter is, is we want buyers kind of be like, oh, thank you, know, thank you, StockX. I'm glad that you helped me to not get a product that didn't meet the standards I would expect. And so, you know, it's really about, it's about education. It's about helping people understand what we're doing in the middle of the transaction, why we do it. And it's a big issue. There's just a lot of, you know, bad actors out there. And so we have to be there to help protect our customers against those bad actors. But really, I really want us to be able to continue focusing on speed, getting people things faster. And I think that will help us a ton moving forward. Makes sense. Makes sense. And also, maybe I'm right to draw that connection, but as you had a background before that at, at Amazon, for me, that Amazon really, you know, defined the standard of just shipping next day uh, or, you know, the same day that you're now saying, okay, speed is the one that people will be always appreciate. Makes a, it's a ton of sense for me that you're doing that. But maybe to double down on that, you're now having a leadership position at a first Detroit unicorn, but a really an impressive company. What would be your top three pieces of advice for people starting in that industry or general in marketing? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that. I think a lot of people don't prioritize who they're going to go work for enough. So I'd say, and when I say who, I mean like actually the person that they would report to and the team that they would be on. I think when you're early in your career, that's what to focus on the most. Because really when you're early in your career, what you want to do is you want to learn as much as you possibly can about the domain that you think you're going to go in and become an expert in, right? And so that's one piece of advice I would give the people is, is over-index on the team, over-index on who you're going to be reporting up to. Are, have they been in the company for a while? What's the reputation in the company? And that can be hard sometimes when you're just like getting started in your career to really get a handle on that. But I think like really talking to somebody, understanding if there's a gel, because I think particularly early on, you really want to be able to have a good relationship with somebody particularly your, your manager and, and make sure you can learn from them. So that's one thing I would focus on. The other thing I would tell you is like, this is probably, you've heard this probably from other guests, but you know, change and ambiguity is the rule and not the exception. And I think there's a desire from a lot of people to kind of get into a routine with their work. The truth is, is as marketers, that's really not the way it is. We have to be able to respond with agility to changing market conditions, to changing priorities on the product side. And so, you know, just having that ability to, to be like super focused on the fact that things are never going to be exactly the same from day to day is, is really a skill you, you got to get comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And that creates the opportunity, right? So it's, if everything stays the same, then there is no real opportunity for someone that is smart and ambitious to, you know, make a big leap forward. Yeah, and I over-index on your future boss, your mentor, potentially, I think. Very powerful advice. I would go Actually, you know, you said mentor. I, I just want to click on that. Like sometimes when you're, right, when you're getting, I mentioned it's hard to really know, right? If you're starting off in your career, like, hey, is this, this going to be a good boss? You know, they're trying yeah. to sell you. So it's hard to know. But I think what you said there is, is mentor. Let's say you get into a company and maybe you don't gel in the same way you thought. You must find mentors, I think. 
that can help you understand and that you can learn from. And so, you know, even if you get into a company and, and maybe you, you don't gel necessarily with your direct manager, there are always opportunities for you to reach out, find somebody that that speaks your language, find somebody that that you connect with on an intellectual level. And I think that, you know, that will pay huge dividends. Yeah. Every person I ever met that was an overachiever and or achieved something incredible in their career, always pointing to those kind of mentors and people that took care of them and saw their potential and just helped them to grow and rise much faster than anybody else. But it always comes down to that. Of course, you know, you could say there's an element of, you know, um, some people have it easier to find very powerful mentors and some people have it have a harder time to do that. But I think it's it's still, it's 100% true that this is the number one factor for really rapid career advancements and, and growth. Yeah. That's a good advice. Find your mentor, find your mentor. Just, you know, we, we just go trim it down to say, you know, find the mentor no matter, no matter what, double click on the boss, thrive and change and all those kind of things. But probably, probably this, the mentor. Yeah. I mean, internally and externally. Right. And, yes. you know, so much of business, you know, business is a people business, whether, you know, I, it's funny, like at StockX, I'm very much focused on, on my internal stakeholders. That doesn't mean I'm not talking to customers all the time. I am. But, you know, you need to be able to always engage with others around you, including in your organization. I'm always amazed at how few people will take the initiative to talk to other people in their organization about things that are not necessarily outside of business, like build those relationships, you know, learn what makes other team members tick. Business is a people business, ultimately, whether that's internally or externally. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. So people do that. Do write a different person on Slack, <laughs> send that email to someone else. That's, that's definitely yeah, true. Absolutely. Uh, Jacob, that's all we have time for today, but thank you so much for joining. If people want to follow your journey, where should they go? Come find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Jacob Fenton, StockX, you'll find me. Um, I like to talk about, you know, customer experience, leadership, brand. So uh, you'll see me out there. Sounds good. Thank you so much again for joining. And we're looking very much forward to see how StockX is further expanding and keeping people safe and also to see how you execute on that journey, on that vision. Thank you so much for joining. Great talk with you, Max. Thank you.